I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Jane Monroe joins me now. She recently published a memoir, Open Every Window. It's an incredibly rich book chronicling various aspects of her life that make up for an incredibly rich, eventful story. The book begins with an account of her husband Bob's decline after an Alzheimer's diagnosis. She has to navigate his care while trying to keep sane. Yoga helps. It's something she's come to learn and study as a yoga practitioner, traveling to India even, several times in the course of the book. She's uh, 20 years Bob's junior, so she might uh, have uh, been expected to be uh, the caregiver, but she felt there was more to uh, life than that. And her life up to meeting Bob was... um, a lot more. There was growing up in Vancouver, eventually ending up in North Vancouver with her parents and siblings. Those early years she writes about in the book are fascinating for her parents are interesting people. There's a fire, but that's later on. Before that, there's a marriage just as she leaves home and is about to start school. There are three children, then her own education, getting degrees in education, and a relationship with the artist Ranjan Sen that is... Uh, not without difficulty due to difference in race. There's obviously more, but the book defies summation here. And it'll uh, be just as well to hear me and Jane talk about the book as we did last week. Jane Monroe is an award-winning poet, writer, and educator. Her poetry collection, Blue Sonoma, received the 2015 Griffin Poetry Prize. She taught creative writing at universities across British Columbia and led workshops and given readings around the world. Visit janemonroe.com for more. This uh, new book is published by Douglas and McIntyre. Please uh, welcome uh, to the Plant Online program, Jane Monroe. Ms. Monroe, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Um, where did you grow up in Vancouver? There was, there's a letter near the back of the book um, from your father, which um, I guess in, uh, people in the old days used to write down where they were when they wrote it, and it's at Windsor Street. Is that is it? Yes. Um, I I actually was born in Chilliwack, up the valley, during the war. And when my father came home, um, when I was two and a half, mm-hmm. um, he moved us um, to Vancouver, where we rented a wartime house on Windsor Street. So we lived on Windsor Street for three years, and then we moved to down, um, downgraded to another cheaper uh, wartime house on Hoy Street. Um, so... And then um, by the time I was at the end of grade two, so I was seven, mm-hmm. um, we moved to the house that my father was building uh, for us in North Vancouver, only it was at that point just a 25-foot square log structure mm-hmm. with a cement floor and mm-hmm. a fireplace. Right. And uh, so he was building the house around us as we grew. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's um, the the only reason why I brought up Windsor Street is because I I live around Fraser and King Edward. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. And Charles Dickens Elementary School, where it's the annex actually, which I which I went oh, to as yeah. a kid, is um, just near there. So I thought I wondered. Um, yeah. It was probably in the area. I thought, figured, you know. Yes. Well, I it was. I yeah. <laughs> right. I um. I was supposed to start school. I mean, it was. During it was just after the war, so there were great influxes of, of um, soldiers coming back with families and so on. So there was a lot of kids starting grade one, and I was in the the school district of um, from Hoy Street of Carleton. Mm, right, right. But they were overflowing, so 
I went to John Norquay Annex, mm. which was a further walk from Hoy um, Street, but um, that's where I went for the first couple of years of school. Yeah, there's so many things about the book that I enjoyed because, as Ian Williams writes in the in one of the blurbs to the book, um, it's it's remarkable to read in that uh, one lifetime uh, can have so many lives. I'm paraphrasing Ian badly, but uh, th- that's what he wrote. And um, a- as you're writing this book and reliving it again, as it were, what what did that feel like? Oh. You know, I I was thinking about this this morning as I was doing my yoga practice, and I thought, and in the book I talk about love having being a vast country mm. with many terrains, and the metaphor that came to my mind this morning was it's an old growth forest. It has um, so many different relationships and so many different aspects and and uh, species living in it and I think that that the complexity and diversity of of um, my life felt like like being in the the old growth forest <laughs> of my history mm. um, it was just it had uh, many different aspects and relationships and I certainly don't write about all of them but the um, the multiplicity mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. was something that I really enjoyed touching and, on. Yeah, and that's what's enjoyable about the book as one reads it, is that um, it, it, even the way that you tell the story, I mean, it's not like you were born and then you, you uh, grew up and then you lived your adult life. Um, you know, you start with your husband, Bob, um, noticing... Uh, that things are different, and th- this is at a point in your life where you're, you're um, you've already had um, uh, two serious relationships, which you write about later in the book. Um, and f- for me, as a reader, I found it incredibly compelling to um, read the book that way, the way that you structured it. Um, uh, the, the timeline, if you will, is is not straight um, because it it makes the life compelling and it answers questions that I might have had about one part of your life, you know, even in another part of your life, say. Um, was the, the the way you structured the book, was that deliberate or, or, or did you did you come to that as you were writing it, say? I mean, you, let's say, did you start at, at the beginning of your life and then and then later on figure out that, that it, it uh, read better the way that we have it in this book? <laughs> you know, I, I've been writing this book for a long time, Joe. <laughs> uh-huh. So there were various different, um, well, there were notebooks and manuscripts and heaven knows what all, um, starting from, uh, well, I, I keep journals, mm-hmm. so there are those. But I also started writing when I first went to India, with Ron John in the seven in the eighties, mm-hmm. and um, and I I started writing, keeping track of that and writing poems about that. Um, so there was there was the manuscript that started developing then. Then, you know, I did for a while. I thought this book was going to be a novel, mm-hmm. and I did a wired writing workshop 
um, with Annabelle Lyon in Banff mm -hmm. and um, wrote a draft of it as a novel. And I, and I started it with the sort of stuff that, that it starts with now mm -hmm. because I, I felt that was sort of more the core of what it would be as a novel. But it became very obvious to me and to Annabelle that it was not a novel that it was that I had to to write about the characters in my own life, mm. and so it the um, so it second became the novel. I mean the the memoir. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have to say then, though, it, it reads like a, a novel in some parts. Um, it, it's just riveting and compelling all at once. Um, when you, when you so I, I mentioned a moment ago that you started the book. Um, with your husband Bob, and noticing mm -hmm. that things were different, and and I have to say I found that part of the book um, fascinating because these are things that we're talking about nowadays about um, how we uh, treat seniors. Um, you're very candid in the book about what it's like navigating, say, the the uh, the, the uh, care uh, industry yeah. um, as as he was uh, suffering from dementia. And, yeah. and Alzheimer's. Um, what were you seeing that that you felt that you needed to write about, say, in, in this book? Uh, well, I say in one place in that first um, section, that first part, that I felt we live in a time of dementia. Mm. That I talk about its tsunami hitting persons we know. I, I think so many people I know have someone in their immediate circle, in their family or in their, their friends, with some form of dementia. Um, and so it, it seems to be very prevalent, um, and it, statistically it is. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel... Society's forgetfulness, and this is a, it's not just that we uh, mentally don't remember historical things. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that, I think some of this is just technology. I, I was thinking the other day about a story a friend told me when she went to visit her grandniece in London, and or her niece, and then her grandniece. Mm -hmm. um, and she went to, to the school that her grandniece was going to, where the kids had to check their devices at the office. This was before the pandemic. Right. And they spent the whole school day without their devices. And at lunchtime, they all sat at tables. They were assigned a table, and they had a conversation. And when she was visiting, she went to lunch with her grandniece and was seated at a table to have a conversation with the kids at that table. And she was, she found it fascinating and she was very uh, compelled by it and she felt what a shame that that's not how schools are now in many parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that there's a kind of forgetfulness in society of how we are bodies and how we are just, you know, maybe it's aggravated by the pandemic. <laughs> anyway, so that, but also I 
feel acutely that the Earth itself is losing mind right. with the extinction of species. And that the diversity of life and the, the different ways of, of having mind, of having consciousness, of having communication uh, of different forms of life are becoming more and more limited. Yeah, uh, it's a marvelous line that you just you just broke down for us. I wrote it down as soon as I read it in your book uh, about living in a time of dementia because it it, um, it we we know this or we realize this, but uh, we somehow forget it even um, mm-hmm. what's going on around us and and the importance of say taking stock or taking heed about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm wondering, does does yoga uh, because it, it, it's such a part of your life, um, does that um, have, have you found that giving you some of the, the, these insights as to, to why we are why we are? Say, well, yoga keeps me saying that I think so as much as that's possible. Um, it it ha- I didn't even start yoga until I was in my fifties, mm. so it's it's definitely something that I that I've come to later. Although I, I always was physically active. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, I danced, I ran, I, whatever. Um, but yoga has a, has a rich philosophy as well. And I, um, as I say in, in the book, I've gone to India, um, well, I've been to India seven times, but four times to study yoga. Mm-hmm. And the um, one of the great yoga teachers with whom I I had the privilege of studying was BKS Iyengar, and he uh, he said that in his practice he tried to bring intelligence to every cell in his body, and that they didn't have language. Mm-hmm. But they talked to him, and he could. They would tell him where he was neglecting something or mm. some part of him, and it would alert him to to wanting to bring intelligence to that and work with that. And I feel this is uh, this is very helpful. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is part of, and I think it's like writing too, that you want to bring intelligence to every aspect of the writing, and every word or um, element of it. So, so if yoga is like that, bringing intelligence to every cell, um, mm-hmm. is intelligence as well as energy? I mean, can can one conflate, <laughs> can one conflate the two, if you will? <laughs> That's a very interesting, good question. Um, there's, there was another. There's another thing that one of my uh, senior yoga teachers said once that you cannot energize what is not relaxed. Mm. And I, I think this is very insightful and and true. And so much of the time when I'm I'm sort of driving through things and trying to get this done and that done and so on, sure. I I get tense. Yeah, yeah. And it's not bringing intelligence to it. 
Yeah, pe- people always ask me when I interview people if I get nervous. And um, um, I'm, I'm nervous about little things. Like I'm, I'm nervous that if, if my machine doesn't work here and, and I lose the tape. Uh, so I'm terrified about that at this moment. But um, one realizes, regardless of one, who one is talking with, you know, um, and I've had a lot of people on the show over the years, um, yeah, you, you can't be nervous because then otherwise you, you just sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you would know. You have talked to so many people. I, I think it's, it's actually a wonderful uh, project, enterprise, to... to um, have these conversations and, and record them. Well, it's fun to talk to people, especially when they write a book as fascinating as yours. Um, because, it, as I, I told you before we started, there, there's just so many aspects of the book that, that I want to touch upon. Um, the, 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 um, the, the, the time with Bob, um, he, he was much older than you. Um, right. Did, did people warn you? about, say, the, the difference in age and what that would mean uh, for you and, and, say, having to care for him? I mean, I guess pe- people did foresee that, didn't they? <laughs> yes. And two of my closest friends were very concerned. And I, <clears throat> I um, well, at the time when Bob and I married, it was just after the terrible, tragic fire and my mother's death mm. and I it probably would have made a lot more sense if I had listened to the the loving advice that I was getting and not made any big decisions for at least a year um, anyway um, I wasn't um, I wasn't to be persuaded I guess mm. so people did warn me and I warned myself too. I knew that that this was dangerous, and I talked with Bob about it. He he tried to, well, he did persuade me <clears throat> that he was the sole survivor of five brothers, and his father and his closest brother had died of a sudden heart attack, and that he always thought he was going to go very suddenly and, and quickly, and that mm. he would not be alive in 10 years. So we should just enjoy the time that we had. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I just remember that part of the book, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. um, um, because he didn't, he, you know, it, it was a long, you know, as I say about Alzheimer's, it's a long goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating to, to read, you know, what, what people think or what, what they would predict or foresee and, and how it doesn't turn out um, the way we expect. Um, you know, you mentioned um, um, knowing Bob for the first time right after um, or around that time of, of your, your mother, the, the fire at, at, at your, your parents' house. Um, I remember reading that part of the book and thinking, um, because it was a pretty stressful time for you and everyone around you, he seemed to be there for you. He was. Yeah, and and, and yeah. so so now when you say that, I can't. I, I think to myself, well, um, yeah, I can see why she would want to marry Bob because he's you know he was there constantly and and yeah. um, just a, 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 a great support to you and your family, right? He was a good friend. I mm. mean, I during the time that that I was 
Well, we had been friends for five years before that fire and before the, us getting together as, as partners. Um, mm-hmm. He, um, we worked together, and he, we'd have lunch, and we would, our, our, um, our friendship was really based on conversation, and we had wonderful conversations. He was very, he was interested in a lot of things. He, he was very. He read a lot, he, you know, he, um, and he was just, we, we just had a rich conversational life <laughs> until we got dementia. Yeah. There's that wonder, I don't know if it was a weekend or a week or I don't know, it could have been a day even, where, where you spend in New York City. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's almost like a whirlwind weekend and, and you're, you're going all, to all these places and, and seeing friends and, um, it reminded me so much about why I like that city. Yeah. Well, he loved New York. He he spent whatever twenty years, I think, living there, uh-huh. and um, knew it very well. So it was a joy to to go there with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you you um, you and Bob get together, get married, and um, point no point. Where, where is that? <laughs> Um, on the south, well, I see the northwest coast of Vancouver Island, along the Strait of Juan de Fuca. I see, yeah. <clears throat> From Victoria out toward Port Renfrew in the beginning of the West Coast Trail. I see, yeah. Um, it's about halfway along there. And so, um, so you and Bob build a house there. Um, yeah. What did it look like? What did Point No Point look like? What did the house look like? Yeah, what, what did the house look like that you and Bob built? Oh, it was quite a wonderful house. It was, um, the architects referred to it as a West Coast cottage, which I thought was ridiculous because it was too big for a cottage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it had the, the wood that we used in building it, um, Pretty well, all came from trees that we cut to clear the the land that the house was sited on, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was all. <clears throat> um, it was a lot of wood. It was different levels. It had lots of windows, um, many stairs, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a deck around the outside. It was surrounded by forest and a view out through the um, the mouth of the creek over it um, over the, the strait and we could see the Olympic mountains across on the other side of the Strait of Juan de Fuca mm. and, uh, and the water um, the ocean there um, it was uh, it was isolated we were on we had of acres, mm-hmm. um, and it was quite a ways out. Um, and it had two fireplaces: the fireplace in the kitchen. The kitchen was big, mm-hmm. um, the big island in the middle, and a slate floor, and a fireplace faced with beach boulders. Right. And we had it was chilly there because the fog would roll in, so we had fires just about every night, and we heated with with wood 
there was radiant heating throughout the house. Yeah. But the furnace in the basement was a wood-burning furnace that heated water in a boiler, which then circulated through the pipes all through the house. Right. It was a beautiful house. Yeah. And, and there's a moment where you do have to, to <clears throat> leave um, because Bob yeah. needs care. Uh, yeah. uh, and I guess, uh, was it one of the grandkids who, who couldn't believe that you had to give up this place? Yeah. Yeah, one of my grandsons, Justin. Um, he was just standing there looking at the house and the trees and the view and all the the 12 acres of, yeah. that, that the kids loved. I mean, they they would come over and and um, stayed for a few days. And he said, Grandma Jane, you're giving up this for a two-bedroom apartment <laughs> in Vancouver? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was hard. I mean, I do. I'm very grateful that I had those. I had about 20 years there. Mm, yeah. And luckily, you know, I, I'm also grateful that I did it sort of in those years, because um, so many people move out of the city when they retire. Right. Yeah. In yeah. their older years, but yeah. I did it when I was well enough to, you know, walk the beaches and climb the mountains, and I yeah. did a lot of hiking and walking and wandering. Yeah, and as we read at the end of the book, your, your life here in Vancouver now—it's it's it's quite busy. You're able to get out and walk um, throughout the city, right? I do. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, every day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm skipping about here, and for people listening to us, the the book is so rich that that they should definitely read it for themselves because um, there's a lot to get out of it. But um, even before the marriage to Bob, you mentioned Ranjan already. Um, I'll get yeah. to him in just a sec. But early on, I guess were, were you were you still in college when you married Jock? I was. Yeah. Yes, we. I was. Um, I was twenty. Mm-hmm. He was twenty six. Um, and I we went we married and went to Bloomington, Indiana, mm. um, where he was doing his doctorate. And I finished my undergraduate degree, so I have an undergrad, I have an A.B. English honors from Indiana University as my undergraduate degree. Um, uh, and we were there for a couple of years, and then he he came back. He got a job at Simon Fraser, which uh-huh. was just opening then. Uh, it was early years for Simon Fraser, yeah. and um, so he came back. To SFU, and we we moved back to Vancouver. Yeah, and so if, uh, if we're following the timeline of your life here, three children, is that right? Yes. And um, there's something that you wrote near the end of the book that, that I want to ask you about. Um, because you depict um, that marriage, and you depict the children growing up in a part of the book, and, and um, I'm wondering what people who aren't you that you write about think about the way you're writing about them. About my family? Yeah. About, um, well, I, I asked before it was typeset. I sent the penultimate version of my book, of Open Every Window, to uh, my three children and their spouses and to Jock, mm-hmm. who's also a, a good friend. I mean, he's 
that we've continued to function as an extended family yeah, yeah. with the kids and grandkids and so on. Um, and I asked him to read it, and um, he, they all liked it. Yeah. They all were quite. Um, they wished me well with it, and they nobody. They they all were um, comfortable with it. And I didn't send it to Ron John because he wasn't very well. But I but um, Ron John did has read it, does have it, mm-hmm. and he did the painting that is on the cover. Ah, I see. Yeah. So it's his painting of Lotus on a Starry Night that um, he generously gave us for the, the cover. Yeah. And and so um, you met Ron Jen after the, the, um, the divorce to Jock. Yeah. Um, why did that relationship end? Um, I think it just ran its course, probably. Um, we... We um, we again remained friends. Uh-huh. Um, I I think probably the the, um, the well we we had a, a difference of what we wanted from the relationship. Ron John really wanted it as at that point as a relationship, um, not um, and I was. I felt very close to him, and I, I felt that we should each sell the houses that we were living in yeah. and collectively buy a house that would big, be big enough for my three children and his art, uh-huh. and um, that we should make a home together and ideally marry. Uh-huh. And he, his answer to that was that I was he was not my top priority, mm. which I thought was perfectly true. He wasn't my top priority. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he wasn't, he would invite me to, to live, to move my children into his house, which was not going to work for them. It was not big enough and not, you know, they would not have, it wouldn't have worked for me either. Yeah. So, I think we just reached the point where um, we were diverging more. Yeah, it, it's um, a, it's such a fascinating part of the book because the, the two of you getting together, um, even in those years, as improbable as it was, um, <laughs> it had such a um, an impact on on um, your life, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and it um, you you went through a lot. I mean, you, there, there was mm-hmm. prejudice that you both encountered, right? Yes, we certainly did. Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> it was it was very interesting. I mean, I I um I haven't uh, can't. I mean, I have had I've grown up as a colonial white Canadian, mm-hmm. um, and I've gradually become more conscious of the aspects of colonialism and my white privilege. Um, but I, I have, I spent a year living in Turkey with Jock and Ian, our first child, mm-hmm. um, early on, and that was 
fascinating because I'd never lived outside of North America and that Turkey was a very different culture. Um, and I learned, I learned, um, I got a little distance <laughs> in my experience of North American culture by that year. And then the trip to India gave me um, another perspective. And, and even in India, sometimes I was, uh, well, in the last section, I write about going to Kerala in 2017 and being the first white woman mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that yeah, that was in the village that I was visiting a friend in. Um, so I, I got a, a feeling for cultures in which um, whiteness was not the, the, um, uh, the norm. Right, right. Yeah. Or at yeah. least my kind of culture, my colonial yeah. culture yeah. was not. That, that, that's a f another fascinating part of the book, these trips to India that you take the reader on. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, it's something to admire, definitely, about you personally, that, that um, you're able to connect with people as you do. I mean, I would find that very hard myself to go anywhere other than, say, Vancouver, <laughs> where I've lived my whole life, you know. Even, even certain neighborhoods in this town are, are, are um, you know, <laughs> you got to put your collar up, if you will. Um, but so that was why you asked if I'd grown up, you know, near where you grew up. Yeah, I, I felt that I felt the sort of if if because if, I if Fraser is I think two or three blocks west of Windsor. Yeah, I felt it is. you know I felt that the, the, there was a connection there. Yeah, you know. well, there is there, there definitely is Joe. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the, the, the there's another moment in the book that I want to ask you about. It's it's, it's um, I, I found it a particularly uh, poignant moment, a painful moment even for me as a reader, um, when. Bob is going through um, what he's going through, and 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 you're trying to cope with with his care, and um, there's a lot of crying, um, mostly from you, as I recall, mm -hmm. um, and and he says things like um, the marriage is over, yeah, and you know, I mean, one can take that one way, I'm sure, and then one can take it another way, and the other way is, is, is probably the more, more painful, I mean, especially when, when um, one doesn't know what he really means by that, but I mean, it, it still hurts, you know. Um, what, what, was, uh, what were those moments like? I mean, it seems, as, as I was reading the book, that um, on your part, at least, the marriage wasn't over. Yeah, and it those moments were very painful. I did just cry and cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you see, I in in the at the start, even though I I was sure that he had dementia, mm -hmm. and I knew that that going back and and looking after him was likely going to be a long haul. And I was dreading it. I say mm -hmm. I was dreading it. I'd, but I, I did have the sense that that when he said the marriage is over, it was part of his anger, his frustration, his his rage about being 
demented and being in this situation. And mm-hmm. I was the closest person, and he blamed he would blame me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could see it in that perspective. I didn't think the marriage was over. I still felt a responsibility to, uh, to do my best to care for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one can read it, as I said, many different ways. Another way one can read it is that, that he's, this is his opportunity to, to, to let you go, if you will, if you, if you want to. He didn't mean it that way. No, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, one has to ask, I guess, you know. <laughs> no, he, he meant it as yeah. basically, the hell with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you do write about these painful moments in, in, that you've experienced, and, and you know, I go back to that question I asked you earlier, um, what is it like to, to relive it again, if you will? I mean, um, d- does writing, whether it's this book or poetry that you might have written, written before, um, does it give the experience, the memory, a, a new meaning altogether? a very good question and I I think I think in writing I think probably the reason I've kept journals is that I don't really understand something I feel that I don't necessarily understand it I don't I haven't unpacked it all I don't really um, you know I don't I don't have it um, until I write about it mm-hmm. and so Writing about the painful stuff was a way of also of um, making it of uh, of understanding it. I don't know if that wasn't. It's not dismissing it. Yeah, yeah. It was just a way of um, including it. Yeah, I, I asked. I actually asked this question on Twitter um, mm-hmm. a few um, a week or two ago, whether people kept journals or not, or diaries, if you will. And um, the majority of people who answered the question said no. I think it was seventy-five percent said no. Um, mm-hmm. I used to keep one through, say, mm-hmm. uh, high school, and mm-hmm. probably even the, the end of the tail end of elementary school through high school, and then. Um, about 20 years ago, I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if I, I, I know where those books are. They're somewhere here in my office at home. Um, if I pulled them out, I'd probably be dreading reading them. <laughs> you know. Yes, they're terrible. Yeah. Things. Oh, I'm sure. And But but um, now that I haven't done it for 20 years, mm-hmm. I wish I did. Um, mm-hmm. And I, 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 I don't know if I'd ever want to read it again or have anybody else read them. But I, I wish I'd, I'd taken the time to, to sit down pen to paper, and and write. Um, now, I, I, I like to use the excuse that I, I have Facebook and I have Twitter, and I'm very frank about my feelings there mm-hmm. at any given moment. I could grab my phone right now and, and tweet how I'm feeling. And so mm-hmm. I feel like th- there's a record there. But mm-hmm. it is different when you're writing to yourself, essentially, or for posterity, mm-hmm. if you will. No, I'm not writing for posterity. The, the journals are totally private. Yeah. I, I would not want anyone else to read them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's... And, and you writing for Twitter and, and so on, I, um, 
such an irony in my life, Joe, that I I did a lot of work as a distance in distance education in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, building online courses and communi- and um, cross institution collaboration on developing online education. Mm-hmm. And I I knew from very early on that social media would exist and that it would be important. But I I just I tried various times to persuade myself that I should be using it, and I just, um, somehow I just uh, seem allergic to it. Mm. So I, I haven't. But I know it's very valuable for many people. Yeah. Well, you can, you can become, you know, it's a way for you to win the presidency, I guess, in, in, <laughs> in one way. <laughs> Um, you know, in, in, in a worse yeah. way, say, but but in, in positive ways, I think it it um, it uh, it connects people um, who otherwise wouldn't be connected, especially during the pandemic. I see people's posts of you know and, and and you know strangers even who who add me on Facebook or who follow me on Twitter, who reply to me on Twitter, um, and I can see how. Um, on the one hand, you can see how damaged people are, and I'm referring to the former president. Um, on another hand, you can see how they're simply trying to reach out for something. And, and, and I know, you know, they talk about the bad things about social media, about how seeking validation from other people is a bad thing. Um, but at its core, I think people are looking for a connection of, of some sort. Even the bad people who, who troll other people on Twitter, insult them, you know, uh, or make fun of them or harass them, um, you know, in, in some small way maybe they're, they're trying to find a connection or, or some attention if you will and and so you know there is good and bad i mean it's just like everything in life i suppose like bacon or or um you know soft drinks <laughs> yeah. well i i'm i'm persuaded of that and actually it's very interesting to me i'll think about the fact that that rather than doing journals you do um twitter and facebook posts I, that's very interesting. I, I haven't considered that possibility. That might that might fill a niche in my mind and also allow me to participate more in uh, social media, which I, I I do feel embarrassed not to be doing. It <laughs> yeah. it, it does it does um, screw with your memory, if you will, in that mm-hmm. um, you know, which is which is I think the reason why um, I use it as a as a recording device. Mm-hmm. Um, because I will forget having done something or having talked to someone or or having experienced something or, mm-hmm. or I'll remember it differently and not necessarily the details but you know I, I, you know I thought I met person A uh, before I met person B but it turns out no I I met you know what I mean mm-hmm. the the timeline gets screwed up if you will mm-hmm. but I guess yeah. that's because there's just so so many timelines coming at us nowadays <laughs> you know. I know. So many streams, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the other thing that I, I couldn't help but think as I was reading your book was um, the way your life turned out. If mm-hmm. if young Jane could have imagined it the way it did turn out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hmm. Well, you know, I, I knew as a child that I wanted to write. Mm. And I had a feeling as a child that um, 
I wouldn't write until later because I wouldn't have what I wanted to write about until later. Somehow I just had that feeling. So in that aspect, I might have been able to foresee uh, how it turned out. But I, I would never have foreseen how my relationships with men or marriages or <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. uh, turned out. I wouldn't have foreseen. I wouldn't have... I don't think I would have had the imagination to think of um, most of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and um, the, the other thing that's to admire about you um, is the fact, and you, write, you talk about this near the back of the book, is um, that, that learning never ends, does it? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm always... I, I'm fascinated by learning, and, and this, I wish I could, I wish I were. Actually, what I really wish is that I had, as a child, learned another language. Mm. I'm massively unilingual. I, I really can only function in English. I have, I have studied other languages for, you know, two or three years or whatever at a time, and I, I can... I have a sort of soup pot of vocabulary mm-hmm. from various languages, and I can sometimes sort of read things that are in another language. Right. But it would have been fascinating. Um, for instance, I would have been really fascinated as a child to learn how Melkman, a, a totally different language that is indigenous to this place. Mm. And... I don't know that anything much about it, but what little I do know is that it's a language not so much of nouns as English, but of verbs. Hmm. And it probably would have been easier to learn it then than now, because there were yeah, more, because, more speakers. Oh, then, yeah. I, and well, not only would there be more speakers then, but but I think our brains uh, learn languages more easily up to about eleven. Yeah. So I wish I had another language, but no, I still like to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm just looking at the clock, and I've kept you longer than I said I would. Um, I, I could talk all afternoon with you because the, the book is so rich, as I, I've, I've said already. Um, there's so many wonderful things, uh, turns of phrases that you use, and, and beautiful poetry uh, in the way you write moments of your life. Um, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the book and enjoyed our chat today. I, I appreciate your time and, and continue good luck with the book, Jane. Thank you so much, Joe. It's really, I'm just delighted to talk with you. I could talk with you all afternoon, too. Thank you very much. Okay. The website for more is at uh, janemonroe.com. The book is called Open Every Window. It's published by Douglas and McIntyre. It's author Jane Monroe. Join me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunto.